Adam, guys, thank you uh, so much for joining Environmental as Anything today. You're welcome. Pleased to be here, Sean. Uh, you're a local uh, councillor on Lismore City Council. You're also a, a resident of South Lismore, where you were rescued from your home at the height of the, uh, uh, the, the floods in February. Um, you have an, a unique perspective on some of the planning issues for people who are in housing crisis uh, throughout the, the, this, this climate emergency. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on some of those issues today. Um, first of all, congratulations on you, uh, your motion being passed that the, uh, you know, to actually unanimously pass that the house relocations, land swaps and buybacks uh, should be uh, supported uh, by the council. I just wondered if you could give us a bit of a, a rundown. What do you think that can be achieved with that um, uh, that that motion having been passed, that undertaking being made by council? And and in particular, I wanted to, to talk about relocations uh, with you. So, you know, what what do you think can be achieved with that 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 motion? What's going to happen now? Do you hope? Well, thanks, Sean. It's been a long time getting here to get the council, the councillors, to acknowledge the real importance of relocations, buybacks and land swaps. It's something that I've been advocating for a while now, as have many other members of the community, including elected leaders. So I'm pleased that council has unanimously supported my motion and that we had a number of speakers, members personally impacted by these floods, come and speak at the council meeting, sharing their stories about the importance of prioritising relocations. And I think it is a really important aspect that's been missed in the discussion. I think uh, a few elected people jumped straight to mitigation measures, measures, hard engineering. And I think we need to step back a bit and think about if climate change keeps happening at the pace it's happening and floods, we live on the floodplain, keep happening at the scale that they're predicted to happen at, we need to really think about exiting the floodplain, but doing it in a calm, ordered and sensible manner and particularly looking after the most vulnerable and those who will be most impacted by it. And moving people's houses to higher ground is one of the most important and I think worthy aspects that we should be investigating. It, it is it is a unique feature of those uh, those North and South Lismore houses, and even the ones in East Lismore that were severely flood affected that sometimes get forgotten. That that many of them are a, a, a timber Queenslander designed houses, which can can easily, relatively easily, be put on the backs of trucks and located in in new spots, aren't they? There, there, there seems to be a massive heritage issue in 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 this, which is not being discussed. Which is that the character of Lismore has been founded upon those uh, those houses many of which are over 100 years old. And uh, the, they, uh, the, 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 if we are just to bulldoze them, aside from the ecological you know, issues of, of the waste of resources, there's a huge issue of the heritage of our town, which would be lost at, at the same time if we don't uh, progressively move those, uh, that, that architecture to safer places, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, Sean. I think, um, I mean, I live in North Lismore. I've lived there 10 years. I love the area I live in. I love it for its historic um, original buildings. You know, North and South Lismore are the original parts of Lismore. And also, yeah, let's not forget East Lismore. There's lots of heritage 100-year-old homes there as well that were flood impacted. So I think as a recycling city, a city that 
prides itself on environmental protection and protecting our precious resources, relocating these historic timber homes, many of which are the original Gondwana rainforest, the, the timbers that we came here uh, as white settlers and uh, cut down and destroyed. And yes, we've built some beautiful homes out of them. So the last thing myself or many of the other thousand residents who live on the floodplain want to see is these houses destroyed. Um, we want to see them moved, relocated to higher ground. Uh, Australia, uh, and particularly, you know, Queensland, the Queenslander has a long tradition of moving these historic homes. You see them on the backs of trucks, you see them cut in half and moved to a new life elsewhere. And these homes are well worth preserving. They're beautiful, they're well-made, they have heritage value, and they've got character, which is lacking in much of the new housing that gets built these days. So finding a location to move them is a cheaper and a more sustainable option in this uh, pressing housing crisis. Yes. I mean, it's, I, mean I, I often say, is it, do, do we want this to, uh, Lismore to turn into a sterile, soulless, brick venereal hellscape, or are we going to keep what, you know, what is good about what we've got uh, and, uh, you know, and preserve it? I, I noticed that um, one of the uh, community members who spoke at the, uh, uh, the, the council meeting last Tuesday, Harper Dalton, uh, he said he'd been living in Lismore their entire life and had a, had a, had a, a very moving story, mentioned some figures uh, about the quote to get a, a house raised uh, there uh, in, the, in the flood zone, $80,000, as opposed to $45,000 to actually move that same house to, a, to another location. So it, it does seem to make not just ec uh, you know uh, ecological and heritage sense, but also financial sense to be to be focusing on relocating these buildings. Absolutely, and I was really heartened by the community members that came along and spoke, and who have done the real ground truthing of some of these figures and the benefits and costs of relocating elsewhere. And I really feel for those residents that in the past have raised their homes. Uh, spent, you know, upwards of $100,000 to do so, yet still been um, absolutely smashed by this flood. And so the only, in my mind, sensible option remains is actually to relocate these homes out of harm's way. And it seems like this would be a cheaper option than actually raising people's homes. Um, and I think if the government was really serious about addressing the housing price uh, crisis, we could actually do this on scale. We could actually organise uh, whole neighbourhoods or streets to relocate and do it in a way that uh, saves in the uh, taxpayer money and really drives down the price of actually doing this really innovative engineering solution to getting people out of harm's way. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of, uh, you know, like planning for the future and making an, an orderly transition to, to a safer, more secure place for all of, all of those residents and uh, businesses, uh, you know, what, what sort of things I wanted to, to quiz you about a little bit, what sort of things can the council do now and what, and what is it doing now to, to actually facilitate the, making that transition as, as rapidly as possible? Obviously, there are some people in an extreme acute housing crisis right now who need a, a short-term immediate answer, but there needs to be a longer-term uh, plan as well for those short-term solutions to be transitioned into. Um, so what kinds of things, do you, I mean, are the, is the council looking at, at rezoning areas which are currently uh, occupied by one house that could have more than one house 
put on them? Is is medium density being seriously considered in and around, uh, you know, the, the the higher ground areas of Lismore? Uh, are, are you know subdivisions of of existing uh, farm? properties that, that are open to the potential for development that are close to roads and other facilities? Is that all being done? Is, what else could be done? Absolutely, Sean. There's um, lots that Council has been doing and can do. Um, but first, I'd like to premise it on this needs a whole of government approach. It needs local government working with state government, working with federal government. Unfortunately, and I hate being the one, I don't want to point fingers or pass the buck, but the council is at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to actually building houses, social housing, affordable housing. It's state and federal governments that have the powers and the coffers to actually do it done. Pretty much what councils do is colour in lines on maps uh, and rezone them uh, for developers and landholders to actually develop it. That's about as much as we can do. We've explored and are exploring um, some small scale localised development options where we're trying to uh, build some housing, uh, affordable housing, unit sort of things, medium density, um, but we can only do that on a tiny fraction of the scale that's needed. Um, we've also got, and this you know, people need to be aware of, we've got probably about 2,000 or 3,000 residential lots already zoned for building. And this is where councils were led and dictated to by developers. We can't force the hand of developers, unfortunately, to actually get a house built on a block. All we can do is rezone the land. And unfortunately, we have a developer-led system who sit on land, they land bank it, and they drip feed it to the market to keep the prices high. And they also do it um, under the premise that it's not affordable, i.e. not enough profits being made for them to release land quickly. And these are the sort of policy levers that state and federal governments need to address if we're actually going to get the houses built that our residents need. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, that is it is hard under you know a, a, a developer-led system, as you as you call it, that uh, you know where, where where housing is treated as though it's a commodity rather than a, than an essential service. But uh, but but surely there are things that the council could do to get out in front of this in terms of planning and approving particular sites. You know, identifying locations where the council perceives there's a a, a, a you know really appropriate place for a development to take place. You know, or, or you know, or ways in which local zoning and and uh, 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 you know subdivision rules and planning rules can be can be altered in the face of this emergency, or even in some of those places which are already approved for development, if they could possibly be uh, you know now turned over to to you know actual use by the for, for emergency you know removal of the the flood uh, threatened uh, lo, uh, you know dwellings too you know maybe with some of those that are already approved they might, they might you know with this reconstruction commission having broad-ranging powers surely there is the possibility of saying well not not going ahead with a profit-making uh, development here uh, we're resuming that land and we're just going to use the existing approval to set up you know to to move north south and east lismore houses that are most flood prone onto well absolutely sean and that's what i want to see us doing i do want to see us council proactive in this space and really being involved 
with the state government and the corporation about how we uh, provide emergency accommodation, emergency housing, and also how and where we build ecologically sustainable housing for the future. So Council's uh, just about to put out a growth management and realignment strategy for public exhibition. It's going to the state government uh, first for a bit of feedback, and then it will go out for public comment. And this document was uh, presented at Tuesday night's council meeting. It's got lots of maps with what, lots of coloured sections on it on where the possible future housing can be. Um, my concerns over this is we haven't engaged with our community enough about where these locations are, the scale they are, and what sort of housing will be built there. And that's why I want our community to be involved in it, because it sets where housing will be for the next 20, if not 100 years. You don't see housing turned back into farmland or parkland anytime soon. So we have to get this right. And this document, as it currently stands, looks at expanding some of our villages twofold, threefold, fourfold. And this is a huge impact and expansion on villages like Clunes, Becks Hill, Warala, Danoon, etc. And we need to be really cognizant of the impacts that will have on our roads, on our social services, and the amenity of our existing residents. Um, as a really uh, potentially good um, site, you're looking at um, extension of the Northern um, Rivers Ridgeline down towards Lagoon Grass and uh, areas to the east of um, the last sort of shopping centre area in Ganelabar, what has been um, nominated as 1055 Bruxner Highway. Um, these are sites that are in close proximity to existing houses and would have the potential to act as potential emergency housing areas or accelerated housing. Now, my concerns are, why are we as a council going in and rezoning these for residential, which gives the profit to the landholders and the developers, is the corporation acquiring these parcels of land while they're still lower value farmland, RU1 land, and developing it ourselves? And that's what I'd like to see the state government and the corporation doing. Um, preserving the benefit for the taxpayer and the ratepayer rather than passing on the profits to developers and landholders. Mm, yeah. Here on Environmental as Anything, I'm speaking to Adam Guise, local Lismore City Councillor and North Lismore resident, about the flood-induced housing crisis that we are experiencing here in Bundjalung country. So there's, you mentioned specifically there's, there, there are issues with, with some of those locations where people have been proposing um, uh, temporary housing and these, these pod housing, as they're calling them, uh, proposal for Hepburn Park in Ganelabar next to the, uh, the workers' club up there. Um, that obviously, that, that was also, uh, that, was, that was rejected by the council as an option uh, at the meeting, at the recent uh, council meeting, as far as I understand it. And, you know, quite controversially, of course, there's a lot of people who are in emergency need of housing who can't understand why they can't be given a location like that. And then many residents who also have competing interests and needs who can't see why they should be sacrificing their fundamental amenity. So, uh, you know, huge uh, issues there, aren't there? It's uh, there's, there's the golf course was another 
another site that was mentioned, which is, uh, you know, like worthy of consideration. It, it must be uh, a, a, a very thorny issue for you and on the council to be grappling with these competing interests at this difficult time. Absolutely, Sean. And I just want to say straight out, this is a crisis of the government's own making. State and federal governments have neglected investing in affordable and social housing for decades, for decades. They've been led by the development industry to carve up farmland in mostly large lot residential housing rather than actually building and investing in the housing we need, which is mostly medium density, one or two bedroom housing in close proximity to services. So this flood has really highlighted that. It's exacerbated it tenfold. Already we had a housing crisis across the Northern Rivers. And now with all the only uh, the affordable housing mostly being on the floodplain, these people have been forced out of rental homes and their homes into crisis accommodation. And this is where the state and federal government need to find solutions for it. But pitting the community against each other by imposing pod housing on the only green spaces that people have for their relaxation, their recreation, healthy outdoor activities, um, to socially connect, to have fun, is not a fair solution. It's not a solution that the government should be imposing on communities. So they need to come to the party actually engage with councillors, engage with the elected body and engage with the community and the neighbourhoods where they want this housing. They shouldn't be imposing it upon us without the proper community consultation. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, so speaking of proper community consultation, I want to move on to the uh, the question of the, uh, the the reconstruction corporation. The uh, the Northern Rivers Reconstruction Corporation has uh, uh, has been in place for a month now, and it seems that the first thing it's done uh, of any of any note is to uh, announce its advisory board. Now that has uh, met with some uh, concerns, and I know you have some concerns about that. Can you can you talk us through uh, where where you see? Uh, the problems and, uh, you know, the opportunities for the NRRC? Yeah, look, it's a issue close to my heart um, because here we had a government that announced a corporation, a reconstruction corporation, to help us with flood recovery. And there's no actual local community representatives who are assisting in the flood recovery on the advisory board. The advisory board appears to be eight people from um, industry or government bureaucracy backgrounds. They're not uh, local people that have led the flood response from day one, that have been on the ground delivering services to people in need. And, and a board that genuinely represents the welfare and the need that the community um, wants in terms of flood recovery services, of actually getting people into housing, um, supporting people with buybacks or relocations, or looking after people with uh, crisis services um, exacerbated by the flood. So I'd like to see an advisory board that's actually more representative of the community, that has more equal um, diversity, more uh, female membership, and really draws on those great community leaders that we've been seeing 
driving the flood recovery from day one. Yeah, yeah. It does seem odd that the you know there there is a um, a, a local indigenous uh, a member, but not from the the the, the most flood prone areas of the. This is certainly not from Lismore. There doesn't seem to be anybody from Lismore on this group. They, I, I, it struck me as odd uh, that there was nobody with uh, ecological expertise you know, included in this. There's no nobody to, to speak for, you know, the issues to do with the environment, which are obviously going to be uh, critical for this. So there, there certainly seems to be uh, some some issues with the uh, with the representative nature of that group. Do you think it can effectively function, though, uh, in order to, to actually get on with the job that, you know, that's required to do now? Do you think it's going to be capable of actually, you know, solving this short-term emergency, you know, housing emergency and, uh, and, and looking towards uh, longer-term solutions? Is, is there any hope for it? Look, I certainly have hope, Sean, um, but I've been in politics long enough to know that the corporation is um, answerable to the Deputy Premier, um, Minister Tool. So it is purely a, uh, a function or a, a subsidiary of the political uh, rulers of the day, and that's currently the Liberal National Party and state government. And the advisory board are political appointees. So you can't help that, that be a bit cynical that they may just be fulfilling the wishes of the current um, Liberal national government who are currently in turmoil with um, rorts and scandals around jobs for mates. Mm. So while I have hope, it really needs to be representative of the people and get people on it who are leading the flood recovery in Lismore. Yes, yes, indeed. And I should just say, look, uh, just to wrap it up in the last few minutes, we've got um, the we've just had the uh, Upper House Inquiry release its report, and uh, it seems quite, you know, quite substantial. It's, uh, you know, 21 findings and, uh, uh, you know, 37 recommendations and 170 something pages, I think, of, uh, of detailed analysis of what's going on. We're still awaiting the, uh, the, the independent uh, report uh, commissioned, which has got, you know, Mary O'Kane and uh, Mick Fuller uh, leading that. So we've got the Premier's got that on, on his desk and isn't, uh, isn't sharing it with any of the rest of us. Uh, what, what do you see coming out of the report that has been released, the Upper House report? Uh, what, what, what did that highlight for you, do you think? That the you know do you think that that will be uh, indicative of what the New South Wales government can or at least should do? Uh, look, um, these reports they've always produced post a disaster or post a crisis, and my concern with any such reports is will the recommendations being implemented? I was here in 2017 when we had our last devastating flood. And back then, there were all the same issues around the SES and the first responders, the organisations tasked with responding to the flood um, being lack with their organisation and their communication. And once again, it's falling on the community. So I can't help but be a bit cynical at this stage that we were told those things would be rectified last time. And here we have again a report saying the exact same thing. So things fundamentally need to change. This needs to be a community-led recovery and the government needs to invest resources in community organisations to achieve that ongoing and long-term. But I also want to make clear 
this report is about the response. It's about the flood response. And what I've always called for is about we need preparedness. Mm. We need to be preemptive in floods. We need early warning systems. We need early evacuation um, systems. Why have the army, why have the ADF with all their resources come in for two or three or four weeks or months after a flood and spend all that time and energy um, cleaning up waste and helping people after a flood when we could actually organise and galvanise it to move pod buildings or caravans or dwellings or people's prized possessions out of harm's way before a flood actually hits us. These are the sort of innovative things that I would like the government to look at. Um, and then just another thing, when you talked about the advisory board and the lack of representation for the river and the ecological restoration that's needed, it was great to see that recommended as recommendation 33 in the report. It talks about the need to actually regenerate, rehabilitate the Wilsons and Rivers catchments. This yeah. is fundamental to our health and it's fundamental to the river's health and needs to be front and centre of any flood recovery or any mitigation works. Yes, yes, indeed. It's, it seems that uh, the ecological issues of these, uh, this climate emergency, these floods which are clearly uh, related to, on so many levels to our ecological crises, uh, the ecological issues always sort of seem to get a, a footnote uh, but uh, yeah, at least they got a footnote in this report, which is uh, a really uh, a positive thing. I, I do also note that Lismore City Council has declared a climate emergency, but it's the only level of government currently wrestling with this flood emergency uh, that has done so. Um, I wonder if just in the last minute or so, if you think that there has been any positive outcome or what, what you see uh, that has done or could do, be done better for Lismore City Council and also the other levels of government if they were actually to acknowledge the climate emergency, how much better prepared do you think they would be for future crises like this? Well, Lismore Council has acknowledged a climate emergency. The federal government that's just come into power recognises it and it's actually going to take action. Uh, the Greens have been calling for it for decades now. It's just, uh, for me, heartbreaking and unfortunate that we still have a mayor who doesn't believe in anthropocentric climate change. Uh, he doesn't think it's caused by humans. And while you have a person in a leadership position like that, I'm concerned that we're not going to take the concerted and organised action we need to prevent the harms that will come our way. So I want to see real leadership from our elected body, from our staff to really address this and get the action we needed need to mitigate and adapt to the impacts of climate change right here, right now and accelerating as we speak. Adam, thank you. I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. Thank you so much for your time today and for the great work you're doing there in council. We'll have to get you back on again soon to keep us posted with the pro progress. Thanks, Sean. Always pleased to be here. Love your work.